world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. See, I wish that I wish that it worked that way. Uh, high school, my room was in the basement. My parents' room was on the, like you know second floor, third floor total. You know, like so f- as far apart as you can get. And a lot of the time, my mom would call my cell phone because she didn't want to like you know come downstairs for something. It was like you know right after I'd come home from curfew, and she's like, "Hey, um, do you mind bringing me this that you know something?" And I was just like, "Ah!" And so like the phone, it it became a tether. It became uh, so, but you know. I don't know. I always think this is another reminder that I have of uh, <laughs> Teen Girl Squad, <laughs> Strong Bad. Uh-huh. When uh, one of them, one of them, uh, I don't know. There's like this wireless wizard <gasps> texting from a few feet away for shame. And so I hear that little voice in my head every time I text someone in the same room. Yeah, I'm like I'm going to be judged by an internet cartoon character. <laughs> Well, speaking of the squads of teen girls, we should probably start talking about our books today, which includes Champions, in which there are two girls, so we're calling it. We're good. Segway achieved. Achievement unlocked. Well, Sweet. there's like two and a half. Who, who's the Who's the half? Well, not, I mean, not half, but she's kind of there. Gwen. Gwenpool, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Gwenpool. She's, she's not half a girl. She's half a member. There we go. That, okay. <laughs> I was questioning. I was like... Because trust me, she's all lady. Well, that no sounds really weird. <laughs> that came out weird. I apologize. That's okay. We're not going on a list. You are. <laughs> it's fine. I'm editing. I can make myself look <laughs> Anyway, this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, and this is technically our Christmas episode. Oh. Um, yeah, we, uh, we got sick, and it was... An adventure for all of us. We all went on our own personal health journeys, and we came out the other side better people. And having learned a lesson about the meaning of life and family and Christmas, perhaps? Question mark. Sure. I learned that the greatest gift of, of all is modern medicine and vaccine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no vaccine yeah. for RSV, I, unfortunately. I had to kill someone who looked just like me, who but uh, who was healthy. That was that was a bear. Who I'm going to tell you, but. Uh, I'm here. No, that's not how you all get healthy. <laughs> no. Oh boy. I have to absorb my healthier self. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I absorb him after the fact. It's like Highlander, you know. It's like a. It's yeah. it's it's like a tauntaun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to sleep in a cocoon made of my <laughs> other self. <laughs> oh, this is getting oddly disturbing. I think we should uh, give Steven a chance. <laughs> all we are safe. Give Steve a chance. I just see like everyone gets little packets in the mail from the CDC where it's like mini little lightsabers to slice open. You know, it's like your little COVID test, but it's your little, uh, your little, uh, tauntaun uh, opener. Oh boy. You gotta, yeah. Hey, Steven, you want to talk about comics? Yeah, let's do it. We've got two, uh, I was about to say two stories, but that's not quite accurate, is it, today? Uh, we've got two different books that we read. Uh, we read the first, I guess it's just the first trade of champions, and we followed that up with The King in Black. I'm voting that we start with champions. Yeah. What do you guys think? 
I vote to second that option. Oh, good. Do we have a second for Aldo's second so that we can make this official? This isn't Parliament. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and real quick, how far did you guys read in Champions? I stopped. Yeah. Um, I, five, so five issues. That, what that, that issue. Right after Gwenpool left? Like, they're about to confront some bad guys. Okay. Yeah, I so, had it. I had it in my uh, head that we were reading the first six, so I went ahead and read the issue after that. We'll stop with five. Okay, so Champions takes place in the wake of Civil War II, which is an event comic that we have not read, not for lack of opportunity. I would say it's more out of lack of desire. Anyway, Civil War II messed up the teen heroes. Kamala Khan is deeply disillusioned with everything that has been going on, superheroes fighting other superheroes, and she quits the Avengers. And Miles and Nova had also previously quit. So Kamala calls them together, and they think they're in for a lecture about, you know, how important it is for them to stick with their responsibilities as superheroes. And instead, Kamala says, you know what? We got to do something different. The adult heroes are not... They're not making the world a better place the way that they should. They're not living up to their uh, responsibilities. And we're not going to be able to learn from them, so we should just kind of do our own thing. And they go around recruiting. They pick up a couple of other heroes, uh, including Amadeus Cho, the totally awesome Hulk, Viv Vision, the daughter of regular Vision, Vanilla Vision. 2020 Vision. (laughs) Oh, boy. And they start having adventures. Their very first adventure is rescuing a whole bunch of sex trafficking victims from a evil clown named Pagliacci, which is like, boy, that's a thing. And then their second adventure is a camping trip where they wind up with an additional recruit in the form of baby Cyclops, because this takes place during that era when the the kid X-Men had been pulled forward from the future. So, baby baby Sykes. <laughs> From there, the new champions head over to, I believe it is a fictional Middle Eastern com- country where um, this very conservative reactionary militia is doing a real good job of keeping those women in their place. The champions show up to try to make things right there, and they wind up creating this plan where they'll help save the day, but it will look like the women of the region fought the battle and won the battle themselves, so you don't have the optics of superheroes, and particularly Western superheroes, coming in and liberating. They want these people to be able to form their own community and have their own strength and have that sort of, like, reputation. As they're leaving, uh, the champions get shot down, and... They get captured by the Atlanteans, and they have a whole sort of thing there where the Atlanteans are angry with them for invading their airspace, and, you know, champions escape from there, and then wind up trying to fight off a hate group in a small town where their efforts are continuously stymied by Gwenpool, who is convinced that all of the hate that they are attacking, that they're dealing with here, is a uh, result of a supervillain, such as the hate monger or someone else. But the champions keep trying to explain to her, no, no, prejudice is a thing. And Gwynpool's like, not in comics it isn't. And then she flies away, and that's the end. So, interesting series, written by Mark Wade, pencils by Humberto Ramos, uh, inks by Victor Olazaba, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by Clayton Cowles, member of Chris Eliopoulos' Virtual Calligraphy. 
thing that I learned just a couple weeks ago, how that all kind of worked. So that's the story. What did you folks think? I really liked it. And also forgot that Umberto Ramos was the artist on this until I opened it. And then it was like an unexpected treat because we, you know, like we said earlier, had a lot of illness going on. And so it had been a lot, like got out of the habit of reading regularly. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I got some vibes of uh, early runaways. Because it's a similar kind of makeup where it's younger younger um, superheroes, you know, kind of coming into their own. I think these guys have had, you know, better experience. They've been, all been, you know, real Avengers and, um, you know, are a little more polished and a little more sure of themselves. I did like the constant fighting of who's the leader, I'm the leader, you're the leader, we're the leader, they're the leader. You know, that was fun. Loved, loved, loved the art. Uh, but that's, I mean, Umberto Ramos could draw anything and I'd be, ooh, look at that. So, no surprise there. Uh, I'd be interested to follow up with this. I, I'm regretting that I stopped rather than, like, reading it ahead a little bit. I had to stop or else I would want to talk about the rest of the stuff, which is out of scope for our conversation. But I do intend to keep reading some more of this. I really did enjoy it, though. I think my only, not even a complaint. Uh, I, th I think I'm just not used to comics. Well... I am used to comics being heavy-handed because I do enjoy me an X-Men comic every once in a blue moon. <laughs> but Kamala Khan borders on obnoxious about her mission. Oh, boy. And, and it's not that I, I... To me, borderline, because it is very much like an adult in their 40s and 50s trying to figure out how to write a girl who would market herself as a social justice warrior. Yes. And I feel like it gets so close to being really well done, but it also borders not being very well done. And I think the fact that it's not just a Kamala book, I think it's the fact that it's a team really helps kind of round that out. But I think if she were written like this in her own books, which she gets pretty close to and it's part of her character, but I think if if, if this was her constantly, I, I think I would struggle a little bit with her. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I did struggle. I'm sitting here like, is, is this what it feels like to work for the Daily Wire? Is this what it feels like to be a reactionary conservative? Is this what it feels like to <laughs> genuinely believe that if you get woke, you go broke? Because I was oh my God. deeply like irritated with the writing. And I'm worried that it just means that I'm an old man. But it's like Kamala Khan is talking with the champions and she's like, just remember everybody, don't. And they said, we know, don't punch down. And Viv Vision almost loses her mind when she perceives a microaggression and she calls it out. It's like, is this microaggression? And it looks like she's going to vaporize it. I, I'm sitting here like, is this how kids actually talk? Or is this how adults think kids talk? To me, it reads more like the latter. Yeah. I don't know. There are time in my life, back when I was doing theater, I had a lot of teenage girls in my orbit. Although you were there, you remember. It sounds worse than it was, but it was still pretty weird. <laughs> it's not as weird as it sounds, but yes. It's not as weird as it sounds, but it was weird, and it is... It, it, yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. point is, I'm now in my late 30s with a toddler. I don't hear teens anymore. The teenage world is very, very different than it was even 10 years ago. Maybe kids do talk like this. And if, even if they don't, I think the concepts are certainly things that are good and useful, but it comes across... I don't want to say insincere, but it comes across very try-hard and it's very out, inorganic. It's out of touch. It's out of touch. It feels out of touch. And so the dialogue really bothered me throughout almost the whole book. I looked it up and Mark Waite is 60. Yeah. 
Really? So, yeah, he's 60. It doesn't seem like it, right? I don't know why. I've never seen the yeah, man in my that's life. that's surprising. But, but he's you know. 60, so yeah. So it actually makes sense that that's how he would perceive and try it. I think the part for me is that it does feel sincere. It does feel like it is part of the character. Because Kamala's sentiment is... It's good. I, I appreciate her sentiment, right? Especially because that is her problem with the Avengers, that she doesn't want to be an Avenger so that she can fight other Avengers. She wanted to be an Avenger to, to help and save people. And part of her dissolution comes from, yeah, so there's this wreckage. Okay, cool. We're, you know, we punch the bad guy, we punch the other hero, and we leave. We don't rebuild anything. We don't do anything past saving the people and leave, you know, leaving the community with a mess to fix. So her... Her struggle and and that does feel genuine. It is one of those things. It's just I think the dialogue just struggles to keep up. I think it might be her role as the de facto team leader, at least the organizer. If we're not going to call her the leader, um, she has to kind of set the tone and you know say the superheroy things. You know, and maybe it's less about I don't I don't know how to write a teenage girl yet, as much as it is you know Ms. Marvel is the heart of the team she needs to be the one who is moving things along and saying those those team things you know it's that that's just her role you know giving him the benefit of the doubt maybe that's part of it you know maybe that's just hey she's got to be the cheerleader for the team and keep them on their toes and keep them you know this is why we're doing this this is why we're fighting you know i i also feel granted i don't really know the intricacies of working in comics in a corporation like marvel but i wonder if at any point, there could have been a conversation with uh, Willow Wilson, Son Almanac, how the character is written, and if that feels fair to the character. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I I get that that's Kamala's thing, right? And like that definitely comes from her upbringing, her idea of what it means to be a hero, and she's so tied into community and stuff like that. So like that makes sense, but it's just I feel like it struggles a little bit when it gets to that. Yeah, it's I don't know. I think part of why I struggle with. And it's not just Kamala Khan, but it's primarily her in this book, is that she is written like a Twitter hashtag resistance person, which I don't know. I don't want to presume how much of you guys were on Twitter during the Trump administration, but there was a type of person that was very vocal, anti-Trump, very pro-Democrat, very often overwhelmingly white. And this well-meaning group of people, I was definitely one of them from time to time, tended to bellow very loudly about how important it was to, like, listen to minorities and to believe women and to, you know, they kind of, a lot of the, the slogans and the, the, the catchphrases that went around during those four years, they kind of paired it really loudly while still kind of being nestled in their own comfort and privilege. And maybe it's just the fact that I know that this iteration of Kamala is being written by a white man. Her dialogue reads more like a Twitter resistor than it does a, you know, marginalized teenage girl who has her own life experiences that she's drawing on. It it feels like she's reading from a, you know, tweet thread that some very notable blue checkmark person tweeted to as a way of, you know, coaching white allies and how to be engaged and how to be woke. And and so I don't again, I don't want to say it's insincere, because I don't think that's it. But it does feel inauthentic. And again, I'm 100% willing to take this whole thing and throw it out if this is the way that teens talk now. Because I can imagine them having more knowledge about things like 
microaggressions like, you know, relative power dynamics and things like that and being able to talk about them intelligently because it's so much part of the zeitgeist and they've been raised in it, but it just feels off in a way that I found deeply off-putting. Thankfully, I really liked the art and the, the action and the plot beats were still enough to kind of keep me going through, but I struggled with that so much. As as a also another thirty year old man who uh, whose main difference in this conversation is that I spend an ungodly amount of time on TikTok. I it, it, it's inauthentic. I think the dialogue is inauthentic. I've never heard or seen teens talk that way unless it's a parody. Even though this came out right at the beginning of the Trump administration, so like the fall of two thousand sixteen and then um, beginning of twenty seventeen, these issues like this is like the very beginning of it. So maybe that is what informed. Um, the writing here a little bit. I don't know. That'd be a, a tough character to write as, you know, a six-year-old white guy. Like, are you a child of Pakistani immigrants in New Jersey? No? Good luck with that. She's also inhuman. I also like the idea of John sitting in a just a big old office in Marvel, and they're like, all right, John, so you're going to be dr- you're gonna be writing slash drawing Kamala Khan. John, just be like, let, let me stop you right there. Uh, <laughs> perhaps you haven't seen me. This is what I look like. <laughs> uh, so I will respectfully decline. <laughs> yeah. You know why there's an H in white? It's for me. I am white. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Um. But yeah, I mean, apart from that, honestly, my that's really my only real complaint with it is a lot of the dialogue, which I would say maybe 30% of the dialogue is what I struggle with. Because apart from that, I really do enjoy the problems that they're tackling mm-hmm. and how they have to come to realize that they can't... they Because they've been raised as heroes in an environment where they punch their problems out of everything. Mm-hmm. Even even in the beginning when they're rescuing the miners or the divers or miners. Yeah. Miners with an E because they were all adults. <laughs> But when they're rescuing them, how do they rescue them? It still comes down to, you know, power, brute force. And so as as part of their mission, which is to solve actual, like, social problems, they kind of come to this realization that they can't, right? Like, that is part of the individual story every time, is that every time it's they're less able to use force to solve. Yeah. And, it, you know, it kind of comes to a head when they get to that. The racist sheriff deputy of the town. And they can't. They, it's just not a fight that they can physically fight. Yeah. So so I think that's interesting. And I'm really interested to see how that concept, how that story continues and how it evolves. Because I think it's a really good setup to really see them be challenged. Yeah, there are some things that you can't punch away. There are some things that, you know, no matter how heroic you are... Small town sheriff who holds all the power is still going to be, you know, a thorn in your side. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think a comparison that comes up, you know, to me is the first Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, because because there's that there's there's that great part. At least for me, I think it's a great part where uh, where they kill Ares. Spoilers, I guess, for Wonder Woman from two thousand whatever. <laughs> but they kill Ares, right? And the war keeps going, and people are still fighting each other. And Diana's having like this breakdown of faith, and she's like, "But but I killed them. It should all be done. It should be over." And blah blah blah. He's like, "It's not that simple." He's like, "Yeah, like Ares might have helped perpetuate the war and stuff like that, but at the root of it, it's still man. Man is still fighting each other. You can't." just kill evil away so i like that concept being explored a little bit more i am here for it and i do want to read more of it and an interesting mix of characters where you get um you know your typical role like we have a vision on the team we have a hulk on the team we have someone who can shrink and who can grow and um you know wait who can shrink i I think it's 
Kamala Khan. Oh, can she shrink? I thought she could only. Yeah, she can. She can shrink. Oh, she can shrink. She does it in the comic. That's how she got to the um, the miners. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. It's one of her lesser used ones, but <sighs> she can do it. M. Smallum does just doesn't sound as good. Yeah. I remember in the first trade, maybe one of the first couple issues, when she gets her power, she impersonates, to, well, impersonates, she shapeshifts into the appearance of Carol Danvers. Um, do we know, does she use her shapeshifting um, as far as, like, taking on other appearances? Because we know that she uses it to, like, you know, grow and shrink and that kind of thing and, you know, give herself proportionate strength with, like, big old hands and stuff. But I don't, don't know if she uses, yeah. I mean, that's that'd be, hand, that's always, you know... Teleporting, flying, um, or shapeshifting, those are like my go-to. Like, what would you pick for your superpower? It'd be very handy. Yeah, I don't think she does the shapeshifting thing very often, honestly. And that's fine. I think her other powers are more visually interesting. We have plenty of shapeshifters. But yeah, no, I think it's I think that it's still technically part of her power set, but you don't ever see her use it. Boy, you know what? I think I figured out part of the reason that I'm kind of bugged by this whole book. It's that I think Humberto Ramos is a an illustrator whose work I associate with big, fun, dumb superhero action. And thus far, every issue of Champions reads like a very special episode of Blossom, where it's just they're <laughs> tackling a serious subject. And there's a little bit of humor, a little bit of levity. Mark Waite is very talented, and so he he keeps things from getting too solemn, but it's still kind of grim. It's like, oh, this issue we are fighting racism this issue we're fighting sex trafficking and it's like this is the teen hero book and i guess maybe there's something there to be said about how like you know i think teens are increasingly aware of just how dire a situation the planet is in and so the escapism is less about you know taking on evil businessmen and more about taking on these systemic issues but it's not fun (laughs) and maybe it is for other people but for me no also, I'm coming to grips with the fact that maybe I actually don't like Amadeus Cho. I certainly don't like him as a Hulk. I liked him a lot more beforehand when he was just really brainy and cocky. But once you couple that brainy cockiness with the physical strength of a Hulk, I, I, the character does, I, I'm struggling with the character so much. And I used to really like him, so I feel bad about that. I think he kind of goes back a little bit to normal after he loses his Hulkness, because I think he loses his Hulkness at some point in the last couple of years. Oh, I actually didn't know he lost it. I think. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm like 80% sure he loses the Hulk. Okay, so one other thing that I wanted to talk about here, um, and this is more flashing back, in our, in our private Discord, we've been having, or we had been having, a conversation about whether our goal here is to read stories or if it's to read trade paperbacks. Because often it seems like we are reading trades, right? Yeah. And I think it was really interesting to have that conversation and then read Champions. Because we read the first trade, we read the first five issues. There are five standalone stories. This is a periodical, the way that comics used to be, where each issue, yes, it ties into the events from the previous issue. Yes, it bleeds into the events of the next issue. But each, each single issue does stand on its own and makes an overall pretty satisfying story on its own. The first issue is the origin. The second issue is the camping trip. The third issue is the fight with the Atlanteans. You know, they're... No, sorry, the third issue is the uh, the feminist uprising in the Middle East. The fourth issue is, is the, the fight with the Atlanteans. Just, these are standalone stories. They're fun little romps, each on their own, 
taken together as a five-issue arc, this is not a story. I just think that's interesting that we were having that conversation and we just came across an, a, a collection of stories that have really kind of brought into relief this, this conflict that we've had between reading a story versus reading a trade. Often, nowadays, comic series are written for trades, but this is an example of a comic that doesn't appear to have been. It cuts off, you know, kind of almost arbitrarily. It could have kept going for, really, because each story so far has kind of been standing on its own. And so it's just interesting to, to kind of think about that. And it's, do we rank this as one story or do we rank it as five? I actually don't know that this is all building to one big story from what we've read thus far. It doesn't seem like it, the way that, you know, the Jane Foster Thor and the Mark Wade Daredevil did. This is this is reading like they were planning on this being a collection of one-shot stories that it, it's it's episodic. It's very episodic, and that's cool, but also frustrating for our purpose, right? I don't mind little vignettes. Um, I'm reminded of that because uh, this is the time of year where I watch Christmas Story as many times as I can before the month is over. And what's great about that is that it's you know little chunks. You know, like yes, there's a the, uh, there's a story running through. There is a goal for the characters, but there are little scenes that just pull right out. We have Ralphie, Bo you know, fighting the bully. We have the whole incident with the leg lamp. You know, um, so here in this comic, yes, they're champions. Yes, they're trying to be heroes and be the best version of heroes and not, you know, show up, fight, and leave and abandon people to their fate. You know, they're trying to fully solve the problem and make sure that they're doing more good than bad. Um, but, you know, there's the, here's the adventure with the Atlanteans and here's the adventure, um, you know, where they, where they fight this uh, evil clown, you know. Um, they just pop right out and maybe, I don't know, I don't know if the rest of the series is going to be like that. I doubt it. But it is still, you know, same characters working towards that common goal and it's maybe, you know, we're, we're seeing, all right, this is a new comic and we're going to expose you to the types of issues that they'll be tackling. You know, not only fighting supervillains, but also, you know, the issues of the day, whatever they happen to be. Yeah, I think, I would like to imagine that this does build up to something. I think right now it seems like a bit of a slow burn, but I wonder if the end goal is them making an impact and changing the Avengers instead of letting them continue on, right? Because when you look at the covers, the the more you go into the series, the more the other Avengers become start becoming more prominent on the covers. At least for the Wade Ramos run before it switches over to uh, Zub as the writer. So I wonder if like that's the intent. You know, kind of to Steven's point is that I don't feel that intent here. I, that's an intent I'm imagining because I want to think that this is aiming to do something. Mm. And to be clear, I'm fine if it doesn't build to anything big. Right. Not everything has to. I like the premise of single issue stories of superhero stories. I've said this so many times, especially when we've talked about event comics, but superhero stories need to be episodic and you need the events that happen between big earth shattering crossovers because those smaller event, those like smaller incidents, the, the solo stories are where people tend to get the emotional engagement that make the big stories matter. You don't get that, generally speaking, in the big stories. And I'm saying generally speaking because I have thoughts about King in Black. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if 
you know, the way we consume media, especially comics and TV, um, with, you know, binging being more of the way to do it, the way that people do it now, if that's changed, I think that sometimes waiting week to week, anticipating the story or whatever, can make it more enjoyable because you appreciate more what's there. We were talking before the podcast started about Andor. I just really like Andor. I really liked it a lot. And having it be week to week gave me something to look forward to. Uh, gave me a chance to be excited about, you know, resolutions from the previous week. It's Comics are still, you know, they can only make so many a month. You know, it's not like we're going to make them all and then release them all at once. You could, but that's not how comics are published. So I wonder if consuming them like this instead of as they are published, if you get a different experience out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely is different um Mm. and it's a different way i don't know speaking of andor uh actually that's kind of an interesting parallel to the point that i was making one of my (sighs) complaint is probably putting it too strongly but something that i noticed is the first couple of episodes of andor don't feel like episodes it feels like one long narrative like i couldn't tell you you know what's the structure of the first episode beginning middle end it just ends and the second episode just begins and it just ends. And I don't even think I was really able to identify, okay, no, this is a story. Like, this episode is a story from beginning, middle to end until, like, the sixth episode. And that's kind of the way that the streaming era works, is that it's it tends to be written for the binge model, where you sit down and you just watch the whole thing in a weekend. Disney has kind of tried to, st- to, to stick with episodes with their release schedule. I'm not sure it's always that effective. And as much as I enjoy a lot of streaming shows... I find that I like being able to talk about an episode as a concrete chunk of story. And so it makes this book really interesting to talk about because, again, concrete chunks of stories that we can refer to. But it makes Andor a little bit difficult to talk about because if I'm not caught up and I've only seen the first three episodes, I kind of have to just tell you this is what I've seen, this is what I feel about it. I don't like. I can't tell you which episode was my favorite or which part, you know, because it, it all just blends together. And I think that's a weakness of the streaming era, honestly. Mm. Yeah, that that has happened a lot to me when I'm watching shows and I and I'm a couple episodes ahead of someone and I'm trying to tell them, uh, has this happened yet? And I have to be very careful because the, the beginning of one episode into the one before it, you know, maybe they'll, you know, repeat a little bit or whatever, but like the scene... We'll go over two episodes, and maybe it's really crucial to the overall plot. So you do forget what happened in which episode, in what order, yeah. I I haven't seen Andor, and the the thing I was also going to mention is I also haven't seen Breaking Bad. And I get mad, I get angry when people tell me they binge Breaking Bad. Because I, I remember reading an, an, an interview with Vince Gilligan, I believe that's the guy, right, who created the show? Yeah. Where he talked about how it was very specifically made for TV. Like, you're meant to watch an episode and ruminate on it. Think about what you saw before the next week. And then, you know, you watch the next episode. And, you know, that's the process. That's how each episode is made. So, so for him, the idea of binging kind of goes against the thesis of the production of the show. Uh, so, for some reason, uh, as somebody who's only seen the first three episodes of Breaking Bad, <laughs> I still, I, I get, like, a little irritated. I'm like, ugh, swine. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to earn your TV, you know. We used to like bowl each other over because uh, we didn't have a working DVR when Lost came on, and we had to be ready to watch it as it came on. That's actually that's actually why I still like when streaming services release weekly instead oh, yeah. of the drop everything. Yeah. Should we circle back around to talking about champions? I mean, maybe. 
<laughs> <laughs> or is this a sign that we should move on from champions? Um, I do like that they have a discussion of, and it's mostly for the reader, but it's what are your powers so we can do some combos, you know? <laughs> I do like that there is that discussion shown because you do have to um, work with your team and figure mm-hmm. those things out, and it's good that they know them. And so it worked as an intro, and it also is exciting, like, okay, what is, what is you know, self confessed fangirl uh um, I, almost, I always say kamala yeah i always get the vice president up as far as the pronunciation of their first name what is she going to come up with you know for this new team and how they're going to work together you know or what kind of like fastball special are we going to get? yeah that doesn't seem to be a payoff to that conversation in these five issues not in these five no i'm i'm optimistic but i doubt it's for a while if at all i will say i do appreciate that they all still kind of feel like teens Right? Yes. Yes. For the most part, they all feel like teens. I do think it's funny that they make fun of Cyclops for sounding like a 34-year-old, because he does talk like a civil rights leader. <laughs> so I thought that was that was funny, but I also do... A, Scott in here is interesting, right? Yes. Because this is a, definitely a different yeah. Scott. This is Scott from the past, who has seen his future. He has seen himself live long enough to become the villain, and is trying to avoid that. And so he's branching out, he's doing things separate from the X-Men, he's gaining life. But he has led the X-Men, he has been a part of that, he is a man at a time. So I think of his relationship with the rest of the X-Men is, or not X-Men, the rest of the champions is interesting, especially with Kamala Khan. He respects her, he respects the idea that she is probably the leader, even though the team itself can't decide, but she's clearly the one who formed the group, she's clearly the one with the mission state. And so he respects that and allows her to be the leader when she decides to. And I think that's a lot of really well done, subtle, I mean, fairly subtle storytelling with just his actions. Because it doesn't necessarily get spelled out. We just see him do those things. Yeah. I think it works to have him be more a part of the group. You know, this big leader who has been famous for his good and bad decisions in his own timeline in the present, you know. It, I think it does well to bring him into the group if falls in line like that. Yeah. <sighs> this era of Cyclops is our like our favorite era of cyclops and i think that kind of includes young cyclops like i think that makes an interesting tension for this character where he you know is hyper competent and also deeply aware of how dangerous he can be if he lets his hyper competence override his morality as his older self or at least that's how he feels his older self did yeah just really I like seeing young Cyclops. I don't remember how that whole thing ends up because I never read the whole thing. So we'll need to put some more young X-Men on our on our reading list. I, I'm down. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of interesting stuff. I know Jean Grey remains like a prominent individual in the world. I don't remember necessarily what happens with Iceman, Beast, and I can't remember who the fifth one was. Angel. Angel, right. Yeah. So no, that tracks. Yeah, <laughs> of the original yeah. X Men, Angel is probably the worst. Archangel, though, is sweet. Maybe I mean I had the action figure, so maybe I'm biased. But I... <laughs> John had his action figures. Stephen had his. You had your cards. <laughs> Aldo had a life. <laughs> I, I had my anime. <laughs> there you go. I take back my original statement. <laughs> yeah, I would not presume to have had a life. <laughs> 
I, uh, that was another thing I was looking for and then got sidetracked was trying to find if there were good, uh, Starjammer comics for us to, of this era where Cyclops is like, see ya, Earth, I'm gonna go hang out with my dad, bye. And I think there's a Cyclops a solo fight. series. Okay, there you go. I think that's what happens in that. I don't remember, but I think that's what it is. Anyway, I think that's a, I think that's a sign we might be done with Champions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I... it's pretty good, and yeah, that's about <clears throat> it. I will say I... Was it was it felt a little weird how excited everybody got to see Kamala Khan and Viz kiss. I get the joke. I get. The, I think it's funny joke. I just, I I thought that was a little awkward. That definitely did feel like it was written by a sixty year old man. He's like that. The young kids still like to see. Still like to see that, right? Can we tease it? And nobody, no, nobody, nobody told them no. He's like, all right, we're teasing it. And somebody should have uh, told him no. Yeah, exactly. I do think Viz winds up identifying as lesbian. Oh yeah, yeah I yeah. think so. I think so. Um, it feels weird for Kamala, but I, I, that's because she has you know Bruno and all of these yeah. other love interests in her own story. Yeah, I mean, granted, she she also shuts down that idea to the other boys real fast. And, yeah, but yeah, I think also what we're seeing with Viz is interesting, right? Because this is something we've seen with Vision kind of struggle through the years and different story arcs is you know how how much of a human is he how much wasn't he you know that he got reset he got factory resetted so they stopped being like a kind of like a human so trying to so seeing viz go through that herself or is it viz or vi viv 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 Viv. Viv. i was wrong in all my attempts so seeing viv (laughs) kind of learn what it means to be a human girl or not even a human girl just learning to be a teenager is seems like it will be interesting and we got some hints of it and i appreciate that i do like that she's a gamer that she playing she plays games inside her internal computer on the on the internet and all that stuff so i think for the most part interesting character i did not expect to really kind of see her and and like her yeah i thought it was just going to be like i don't know vision light new vision no definitely a distinct character which is nice not just the yeah and also, I I want to say it because it's like it's like assuming that your homies know you love them, but you don't say it. So I feel like I want to say it, even though I assume we all think the same. I like how Umberto Ramos draws the characters. They all feel skinny and gangly and teenager, except yes. for the Hulk. Yes, <laughs> it feels appropriately Hulkish. Yeah. Also, the facial expressions are pretty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No complaints about the art. And I will never, I will never ever turn down a Spider-Man character in a in a Rumbles. I love Miles Morales in this. Love, love, love the look of all of the characters. Absolutely fantastic. And I don't know why it never occurred to me, but the idea of Nova's helmet breaking and being on the fits seems like such a good plot thing to to do. It's Spider-Man running yeah. out of web fluid. Yeah. It's 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 perfect for the team hero. It's great. Yeah. It's really good, and I hope to see it a little bit more, but I don't want to see it be a crutch to, like, how do we make sure that Nova is the strongest person they have on, right? Yeah. But, yeah, I, th- I like it. I like that, that that was that panic when they were down there, and then, like, after they get out of Atlantis, when they get out of the water, how he's carrying two of them, but also, you know, that's very dangerous, because he's like, yep, my helmet could stop working at any moment in time. Here I am carrying two people. It does up the stakes, because, you know... Mm-hmm. Normally, he's this human rocket that can zoom off to space if he wants to and come back. And, you know, he's he's with this East Coast-based team. But, oh, wait, he lives in Arizona. Doesn't matter. Uh, that, I, I love that because then we get, you know, vulnerability on top of, you know, him being a teen. And that, that helmet could have so many answers to everything. It's better that, you know, it's it's held back. 
And then you have to rely on, on Viv for that sort of thing to search it uh, more than just, well, here's the answer my helmet knows. It makes him work for it a bit. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, King in Black? Yeah, so anyways, King in Black. <laughs> King in Black. We read King of Black, Volume 1, Issues 1 through 5, which came out, uh, was it like last year, I think? I think so. Yeah, so it was like the big, the super big event that had been, they'd been leaning up to for quite a while. But the this is written by Donnie Gates, pencils by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Mayer, colors by Frank Martin, and letters by Clayton Cowles. I don't know if that changes from issue to issue, but I don't think it does. I think it's pretty consistent through the five. And so this can be the culmination of a lot of events, and I'll give a brief, very brief rundown of the events that I am familiar with. Is that back in the Guardians comic, when Flash Thompson, I believe, was the was Venom, he was Agent Venom, they had veered too close to, like, Clintar, the planet of the symbiotes, and, like... Uh, let's go home thing was triggered in Venom who wanted to go back and they found out that the symbiotes were actually kind of a peaceful race they weren't like evil like Venom is Venom is the way he is because he accidentally bonded to Deadpool before he bonded to Spider-Man which is like a weird <laughs> retcon that happened in a Deadpool book so that's why he's what? all twisted yes so the, the the symbiotes are not meant to be evil they're meant to go to different planets bond to people gain life experience and knowledge and then return back and share that knowledge and experience with the rest of the symbiote colony so that was part of like that revelation then we had then Noel, the king in black who was born in the void or the abyss or something like that later gained control of them he made the sword that uh what's his name john snow's character <laughs> The, <laughs> the the ebony blade yeah, yeah the ebony blade the ebony belongs blade. to the black knight that belongs to <laughs> null <laughs> i thought it looked familiar but yeah you calling him john snow just like what yeah marvel's john snow it's the yeah. same actor <laughs> that's a deep pull referencing the eternals talking about a comic because <laughs> But we all got there, didn't we? Anyways. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, if we didn't, then we have no business doing this kind of podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that was the thing. He was going to come back and, you know, destroy Earth for some reason. He was going to take over. And so this, there's a lot more stuff that happens. Uh, when we read that Carnage book, that was, I think, kind of the prelude to this. Like, on the, kind of the immediate prelude. And at some point, Eddie Brock has a kid who might have, who looks like he inherited some sort of symbiote power from the king in black or something there's a lot of stuff here that the book does not catch you up with no. it just it just goes running which is fine not every book needs to give you a history lesson but uh it maybe would have been appreciated just 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 a little bit just itty bitty tiny bit anyway so this book starts out with Noel actually coming to earth it is his attack and the avengers are prepared or as prepared as they can be with what little they know about Noel. Noel is approaching Earth and they try to stop him and long story short, they do not. They initiate plan A, which is to blow up uh, like a bunch of satellites in the atmosphere to, you know, to help cut down on the invading forces. They go to plan B, which is to use the sentry to attack and kill Noel and also fails. He is killed by Noel. And then... Eddie Brock goes to fight him and is 
presumably killed. You know, not killed, but he's very heavily injured. Pretty much ends up in a cold. As he has Venom, his symbiote, ripped away from him. Kind of forcibly. And it just kind of ends with Noel having defeated the Avengers. Having taken over a bunch of the X-Men. Yeah, the X-Men, the Avengers, uh, Johnny Storm. uh, Pretty much like a lot of the major players have taken out. And... As uh, and covers the Earth in a symbiote dome to block out the sun, so all of Earth is now permanent darkness. Uh, over the next couple of issues, it's really kind of a lot of attempts to to stop him from like the few remaining players, which includes Eddie Brock, who is in, who is kind of dying. He's he's on his deathbed. Dylan, his son, wants to do something. Because he has the powers to kind of communicate with other symbiotes and kind of control them. Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman are there. Valkyrie is also there. But she's off guiding souls to the Valhalla or whatever. Black Panther, Blade, Iron Man, Thor, Namor. I'm kind of just going through names. Are all preparing like their individual... Well, not Thor. Thor's not... Hasn't showed up yet. But all of the other people are kind of bringing their forces and preparing to fight Blade as... You know, working with Dracula and the other vampires. Namor's preparing his armies. And as they're doing this fight, Thor comes in to to help. And he's, you know, providing cover. And he's helping Dylan, who is planning to get close to Noel. Dylan kind of gets thrown into this darkness as he is captured by Noel. Noel doesn't want to kill him. He wants to kind of, not absorb him. He wants to, like, adopt him, kind of, as, like, a son because of his abilities. And... Through all this stuff, at some point, I forgot when, but at some point, Tony Stark bonds with a dragon symbiote, and they try to bring back Eddie Brock, and that kills him, and he's actually dead for, like, a little while. He later comes back, and they're doing... There's so many things that happen in these five issues that it's a little hard to go off of memory, and the covers don't help. <laughs> so... No, I was gonna say, uh, if if... We're not summarizing anymore that this this we hit we knew this was going to happen we picked it anyway yeah um and i enjoyed it yeah. i liked it oh so hold on i'm not i'm not done quite yet oh okay uh, good okay okay, okay. okay. so three <laughs> i know that's the thing it's these books are surprisingly dense uh they don't feel like it at the time of reading but when, now that i'm trying to summarize it i'm like oh boy there is a lot that happens uh at some point they figure out that there was an enemy to null uh, because the Phoenix or Jean Grey tries to like attack him psychically, but he's not afraid of anything. And then she's like, oh, no, wait, he is afraid of something. One thing has hurt him ever in the in his life, and it was the light. Uh, even though he ended up beating it, it was the only thing that hurt him. And then they realize that the light has been trying to get into Earth, but it can't penetrate the dome that is covering Earth. So the Silver Surfer takes that light inside him, gets inside Earth... And the th- delivers the light to Eddie, and then Eddie becomes Venom again, or he well, he becomes something more, because he's also kind of like, I forgot what the thing was, the Omega, the Omega Light or something like that they called it? It's the Omega Force. Yeah, the Omega right? Force, thank you. Right? That sounds right. That sounds as right as any other Marvel <laughs> name thing. Uh, so he has that power, and he realizes he, well not he realizes, he's... His, Potential now that he can beat Null, so he goes and fights him, beats the snot out of him. He takes the Silver Surfer's board and turns it into a sword, and then takes Thor's hammer and combines the the Tumi sword and the hammer, (laughs) and he makes a big old battle axe, and then separates Null from the darkness, beats the crap out of him, and then takes him into the sun and beats more snot out of him inside the sun until he disintegrates comes back and the light leaves him 
and he is now the king in black. And roll credits. That's why you never see bright colors on his back. So I thought this story owned. I it's really it. good. I love yeah, it. It's really good. I don't think easy I, read. I don't think I loved it as much as Absolute Carnage. Um, but I loved it for a lot of the same reasons that I liked Absolute Carnage. And it's what the heck? Donnie Cates is making me care about Venom. Like I love Venom in these two stories. Just. Uh, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe how much I like it. It turns out, actually, I can't believe it. Turns out the thing that it took to make me really care about Venom was to make him a dad, right? Wow, who could have seen that coming? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask how that hit you, Steven. Oh, it hit me so hard. Helping oh. your little boy, you know, recover. An edgy anti-hero with a, with a child? <laughs> oh, it was the first issue, page 10. Eddie is talking to his kid. And he's like, this is my fight. These are my mistakes. You don't deserve the things I've passed down to you. And I'm sitting here like, ah, oh, as a dad, I feel that. Because as I, I genuinely believe that we live in the best possible time. And the world is horrifically screwed up. And I don't think we're going to fix it in time for, like, my kid and John, your kids, and Aldo, your pillows, to grow up and inherit. <laughs> And the fleece shall inherit the earth. <laughs> the fleece will inherit the earth because the, the people are going to be wiped out. Oh, dear. But no, it's just like, that's been, an, that's been this anxiety that's been sitting with me ever since Charlie was born. Is like, I love my little boy. And did I do him a disservice by, you know, bringing him into this world that is going to be ravaged by climate change and all of this other stuff. And and so when Eddie says, you don't deserve the things I've passed down to you, in issue one, I'm on board for the rest of this. Yeah. I I liked Venom when I first read him as a kid. I thought it was cool that there was a bad Spider-Man out there. And then people who knew more about Spider-Man than me and liked Spider-Man a lot were always saying how much they did not enjoy Venom. And I went through some time there when I was like, am I, am I liking comics wrong? Am I liking the thing that is not, it's like, am I a Jar Jar Binks fan? You know, like, is, is it like everyone's down on Venom? Um, yeah, this is total flip of the narrative because we get this big, you know, big event and Venom is the one that can do something about it. Whereas before he's just, you know, like in the Civil War, he's like on the Thunderbolts, you know, background, not relevant. And then this one, he summons Mjolnir and the Silver Surfer sword and turns them into a battle axe. It was amazing. And calls himself the Comeback King. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, he who's had a million second chances. Which, listen, I'm not the goodest at math, but a second chance, <laughs> once it happens another time, kind of stops being a second. And I think, oh gosh, I think part of the reason I like this story so much is that the climax is just so full of, you know, in the TV tropes days, they called it crowning moments of awesome. It's just, you know, Venom becomes Captain Universe. Venom wields the, the battle axe that's made out of the Silver Surfer's board. Venom is facing down the King in Black, and the King in Black is like, the darkness has teeth, child. And Venom is like, dude, I'm a 90s character. You better believe I've got teeth. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's It's so, like, the stakes are so high, and they do, like... 
I don't know. We've seen so many dead celestials in stories that we've read recently that doesn't phase mm-hmm. me anymore. But still, it's just like they're ramping up the stakes and they're ramping up the stakes, but they never forget that this is a story about, you know, the evil Spider-Man fighting an alien space demon god. And so it, it remembers to have fun all along the way. Um, even in little moments, Namor walks into the room and Blade is like, man, who invited Namor? Just, yeah, I died laughing. <laughs> it was so, uh, it's such a funny book. I was going through a lot of events that happened in the book. And I do want to point out that literally the Avengers call in the Sentry to attack Null, right? Because he's kind of their, you know, they're they're bringing out the big guns, right? Two two things happen that I love that kind of end up meaning nothing, which I thought was a really good way to illustrate that Null is that powerful, right? He is the biggest bat that they've dealt with in a while. The Sentry doesn't even get a, like a punch in, right? Like it's immediately taken out, and this is all. This is in the first half of the first issue. And not even the end of the issue, but, you know, a few pages later, that's when the King in Black envelops the Earth in that that black symbiote dome. And then, uh, I think it's like issue four, is when they do their big all-out attack, where Jean Grey is attacking with either, I think it's her psychic powers. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's the Phoenix, but she's attacking with, like, her psychic powers. Doctor Strange is also, you know, he has evolved into something else, and he's using, you know, his attacks... Cyclops is letting loose with all of his laser beams or eye beams or concussion beams or whatever you want to call them, whatever they've been retconned to. And, like, Sue Storm is also using, like, her psychic power. Like, it's just this big joint attack, right? Like, it is kind of like a last-ditch effort that feels like anybody else, this should be enough, right? And then he just kind of walks away from it, and it's like, wow. And I thought they did a really good job of just kind of demonstrating the power of Null. And I like that. I like that. I just like having a big, evil, edgy villain. It's nice every once in a while. I also like it when the sentry dies because the sentry sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks so bad, guys. Yeah. The sentry has never been in an interesting story. Mm-hmm. At least not one that I've read. Except in as much as he exists to get beat up. <laughs> yeah. We need a big punching bag. Talking about getting beat up. I, 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 listen, I don't read enough Blade comics. And I think we should change that because I love the fact that they kill the king of black he's hanging out with the vampires and the vampires are like well time to kill blade and he just kind of lets them <laughs> dogpile on him and he's like no i'm fine they're like hey you know his buddies are calling him they're like hey do you need some help he's like no 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 i'm good i'm good and the vampires are like what do you know and as the symbiote dome starts to fade away and the sunlight comes down and starts killing all of the vampires he's just like i know what time it is <laughs> yeah yeah, Blade, he's not in this book very much, but when he's there, it's like, oh, Blade is cool. I feel like that's happened with Blade a couple of times, because he was a big part of that uh, Heroes Reborn story, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Blade got Blade got a level up in comics recently, and I I agree, although we should catch up on Blade. He's, he's, he's well, they're up. prepping for new movies. Right, yeah. The, the, we've got Mahershala Ali, who's going to be playing uh, Blade, but I don't think that is even scheduled do we have a release date for that it's not i don't even think it's next year just phase five i think yeah phase five yeah yeah but regardless i think the character is definitely doing some interesting stuff in the comics and i don't know he's got the common sense to complain about namor so he's got to be good <laughs> also as, as far as like other kind of really good character moments at least for me thor 
I listen. I love movie Thor, right? I thought Chris Hemsworth did, did a really good job with him, especially in Ragnarok, and I really like that version of of Thor. I still have a bit of a soft spot for kind of classic comic book Thor, so I love that he throws down with Null, and really, I think he's one of the few people who can go to toe to toe with him. And I love the part that he's talking to him, and he's just like, "Yep, you're, you know, you're. You say you're a god. You say you're a king. You say you were born in the darkness. Blah blah blah." He's like, "Let's see how much of that is real," and just kind of trying to belittle Null, right? And it's kind of like a fight between two bullies who both think they're the biggest bully in town. Yeah. But there can only be one? <laughs> yeah. So, like, that was a really cool moment. I I like Thor, and I also appreciate that Thor is a team player, right? Because he comes down, he sees the kid, he sees that the kid do stuff, and he's like, what do you need, child? He's like, just back me up. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Just a lot of great characters get their moment as, like, I'm the big... I'm the big gun right now. Thor always does. But it was nice that this book treated the big telepath. You know, who's the scariest telepath? It's not Professor X. It's Jean Grey. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it, that was nice. That it's it's an event comic. You do have a lot of the same, you know, big characters having their big moments. Tony Stark shows up looking like a freaking supervillain the whole time. <laughs> Captain America's yeah. got his bits. But you also get some of these other characters. Jean Grey gets a great moment. Storm gets a great moment. Should Storm should always be like one of the big guns for the heroes. Always. Johnny just, Storm. Johnny Storm has a great sort of selfless moment. I almost forgot about that. I love, Tell him I said something cool. I love the role Spider-Man has been playing in these Venom-centered events. Where he's like, there is kind of the awkward... He's like... He's like your your uh, Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor, where like <laughs> he's trying to be friendly and you're trying to be friendly with him, but you only know each other through this one very awkward social situation. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know, I love the role that he plays where he's just trying to help, but he it is never fully comfortable in it and nobody's ever really comfortable with him being there and it's kind of perfect for him if he's not going to be the center like that's a good role for him to play where he's like this really ill-fitting emotional support i really like that uh, at least it feels like in recent years and maybe it's because they really have let miles become his own spider-man and really leave his own books I feel like Marvel is finally getting comfortable with the idea of letting Peter Parker grow up. Yeah. Because I think letting him become a mentor, not just to other Spider-People, right? Like Miles and um, Spider-Gwen. But to a lot of these other teen characters, just kind of becoming a mentor and kind of a guiding light to these characters who are looking for, for guidance. I think that is a really good spot for him. And him... Kind of helping out Dylan, kind of helping him cope through all this stuff. And, you know, Dylan's like, I could have done something. And he's like, yeah, but probably not. I don't know, buddy. And he's like, hey, you know, you have this power. If you want to do something, we will all back you. But if you're afraid, if you don't want to, that's valid. We will protect you. And I thought that was a very, I mean, that's a very Spider-Man. But it's also like a good person thing. I think more, (laughs) I think we need to see more of that in comics. Agreed. Glad that they were fighting, not each other. <laughs> yeah, also nice. I feel like heroes, you know, like the, these big events here, your villain has to be bigger and badder than the one before, bigger and badder than the one before. This, I, I didn't feel as much like, oh, we're just like coming up. I mean, this is exactly what they did is they went back far enough where they were like, yeah, he's been there the whole time. But they've been, de- you know, developing this this uh, villain, you know, over the last little bit. So in the trade even that we read, um, I don't know, it worked. It worked. Even though on paper, it's 
the same as some of these other events where it's just like, oh yeah, these these new big bads, and it's even worse than before, and they're going to need, you know, three superhero teams to beat this guy this time, and uh, I don't know. It it could have gone that way, but it didn't, and it worked, and he was a, you know, good villain. Really bleak in that first issue, it was like, oh crap, these guys are in huge trouble, because they've, you know, their plans just blew up in their faces. You know what this reminds me of a little bit? Not entirely, I just want to make sure that it's clear, not entirely. This reminds me a lot of Dark Knight's metal. Yeah. In in like tone and like visual sort of identity. This reminds me a lot of that. And I don't know. I feel like this maybe handles it a little better. Like, or not handles it better, right? Because they're not really handling the same thing. One of those is uh, ridiculous Batmans from an alternate set of dark dimensions from his nightmares and dreams or whatever crap that was. Uh, and this is just, hey, Space God from the symbiotes. So different things. But I think this is like an easier better read that doesn't give you homework in the first three or four issues of it i mean it does but the homework feels more like (laughs) i get what you're saying you can enjoy the story on its own terms without having done the homework yeah well i'm saying that dark knight's metal the first two or three issues are just are the homework they are going through all these things they're naming like the nth metal they're talking about the dark dimensions they're kind of laying down like they're explaining everything like bit by bit by bit right so you have to get through those first two issues to really get to the good stuff this one i guess if you're if you're not a really caught up with a lot of marvel stuff it comes out of the gate swinging and doesn't really give you time doesn't really give you the homework doesn't really explain a whole lot of what's going on like if if you were reading comics or maybe your exposure to Venom is through, like, the movies or the TV shows and cartoons. Or the hit Eminem song. Yeah, the Eminem song. <laughs> you know, we start out and, and Eddie Brock is like, he has a Bluetooth headset that's directly connected with Captain America. You're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> They're cool now? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, so I mean, there is homework necessary for both of them. But I think the amount of homework needed for this one is a little less than... I still wanted to read the other tie-in issues because I felt like there were a lot of cool things that would flesh out the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this flowed really well. I was ex- like just kept turning the pages. Art was excellent in this one as well. Um, some interesting layouts, and they played a lot with that, you know, light versus darkness kind of motif. And so we um, get to see that through the art. And just when when the uh, whole world is encased in the symbiote and the light comes from these just like floating um, little sparks, I guess. Uh, I don't know what they're supposed to be, but it, that was a really cool image. Yeah. Um, you know, the confrontations we get at the end between um, Eddie Brock and King and Black. For a book called King and Black, there this is a surprisingly colorful book. Right. Yeah. I, I will say about, as far as like tie-in stuff, I haven't read a whole lot, or actually, yeah, I really have not read a whole lot of the tie-in issues. The only stuff I've read was the Black Cat comic. When they relaunched it, around the same time as this event was happening, she is recruited to do a heist. And that heist is to steal Doctor Strange from one of Null's prisons. So when we cut to Doctor Strange as he's being contacted by Jean Grey, that's why he's there with, with Black Cat. Because she has rescued him. She has heisted him out of a out of a symbiote prison. That, see, that's what, right there. I have to read that. I'm not a super big Iron Man fan, but I do want to see how he captures a symbiote dragon. That seems like that'd be kind of cool. Nah, nah, I'm okay with not seeing that. I really don't like it. <laughs> I know guys. you don't. I know you don't. <laughs> and it's starting to bleed onto me. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, what else do we want to say about King and Black? I love the way Nola's drawn. Yeah. 
Very expressive, very exaggerated. I think when he's supposed to be taken seriously, we see him drawn a little bit more, like, I guess, human. But then as it goes on and he's fighting and struggling, especially when he's fighting Eddie Brock, he has a lot of these big, giant smile. Almost feel like a little Joker-ish, right? Because they're big things. His smile is like, you know, three quarters of his face. Uh, like, I love a lot of that stuff. I like that Thor knocks his jaw off. Funny to me. That was that was rad. Mm-hmm. I also like that. I, I didn't even, like, name a specific factor of it. I just... This, this book is full of just really good... <laughs> I just like his, you know, he could have just been like black on black on black, on, but it almost was like he had like, you know, like externally like bones wrapped around him. It was just very like, I'm trying to find a good example. App decided to pull it all up. So I guess a bit of an interesting note, not that it's super relevant to anything, but so you know how Venom has the big white spider right on his chest, you know, he's kind of always had. I don't know if you guys noticed that Noel also has a similar design on his chest. That's meant to be one of the symbiote dragons. And I think they've sort of kind of, not like a huge retcon. I don't think it's even been that. But I think for a little while, Eddie's spider changed looked. And that was kind of like the excuse was that it's thought to be in a spider and it's a symbiote, even though that the symbol on Noel, uh, the winged spider feet. <laughs> so fun little bit of trivia, I guess. I could hear an eye roll um, when uh, I thought about bringing up Extremis just to see what Steven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're. Is it time to rank? I, I, was rank. I, I thought John was looking up something, so I was giving him some time. Nope, lost it. It's gone forever. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, so currently on our list, we have an impressive number of entries, uh, 220 to be precise, and they range like, we'll do it this way. The gateway to the top 20 is Demon Days, the, the Peach Momoko art gem, which is fantastic. And the gateway to the bottom of the list, it, uh, the number 200, is the Frankenstein's Monster vs. Dracula story from 1973. You guys remember we read that? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember we read it. I don't remember much about it except for... It was it was underwhelming given the premise, to say the least. So, where do we want to rank champions? Champion. I, I think my floor for both of these is uh, 42 J. Jonah Jameson life story. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because both of these are a good piece of a bigger whole, and I'd like to revisit them later. Um, but they're really good, and there's a lot of very good things about them. And so I'd, I'd feel better than having them represented higher up in the list than, I don't know, where we might rank them. Yeah, I was going to say for champions, what was that runaway story where they go into the past? Um, it's the one with Joss Whedon wrote it, and I'm scrolling down. Because I think that it, it was its own runaways. Like, we separated it out from the other... Oh, yeah, Dead End Kids. It's number 118. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Okay, never yeah, mind. it's pretty low. It way. was not great. No, 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 no. It Yeah, when you have a 12-year-old bride, it's like, nope, nope. Oh, right, that was a thing. Okay. We didn't go to Whedon. <sighs> Look, I like I the guy's dialogue. He, he has some issues. Yeah. Anyway. They, we need to mow the lawn and get rid of these Whedon. Oh, boy. Um, that was God. great. So anyway, <laughs> I would put this a little bit lower than that, I think, personally. Just because I, compared to some of the other team books that we've read, because I think around this time the team hero was having a bit of a renaissance, and so there were a lot of them. 
Um, I don't. Most, I was going to ask because I think most of them were most of these characters, these versions of them. You know, because obviously the Hulk and Spider-Man have been around for a long time, as well as Cyclops. But these versions of them came out around the same time. A couple right? years previous, yeah. So yeah, you like had about, this about ten years ago, and then starts yeah. with Miles Morales again, probably about ten years ago. I think you're about right on that. And then Nova comes out not that long after that. Ms. Marvel comes out not that long after that. Amadeus Cho had been kicking around for a while, but he becomes Hulkified. Yeah. Um, Ironheart was out for around that time. Ironheart came out around that time. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur came out around that time. The Wasp came out around that time. These are all pretty solid stories. And frankly, I think all of the solo stories work better than this. But that's me being pretty hard on it. And I also don't think this is that bad. So I wouldn't put it... I don't know. I think where I start to say, you know, I think this is probably where it goes, is around that United States of Captain America which is currently number 79, because I think it's kind of similar in that it is a well-meaning attempt to capture uh, current social justice sentiments in a very clunky and inorganic way. But that's, like, you both liked it better than I did, so I'm fine with being outvoted. That's just where I'm thinking this would be. Yeah, I, I think my problem with the book, which isn't really a problem, right? I think it's a problem with the way I approach the book for the podcast, which is that it doesn't, you know, kind of like what you mentioned, but it doesn't feel like a big coherent story. But for me, the the biggest problem is that it doesn't feel like it's necessarily leading to something because when i read books here especially when we read one section of a, of a book for me it's you know how much does this feel like it's a bigger part of something else and i think for me at least that's in this case it's a little bit of a detriment but not so bad that that i like i wouldn't recommend it i think as a comic book i would absolutely recommend anybody except maybe you know weird uncle from the south definitely not that person <laughs> but <laughs> I think I think most anybody I would recommend this book. So I, th- so I think John was you were around what forty something you said? Yeah, a little higher, uh, forty two I think. 42. See, and I, I'm leaning yeah. at just just a little bit lower. I'm looking at maybe I don't know. Well, I can't even remember what happened to her. Uh, it's Escape to Terror. To Terror. Uh, it's a Silver Surfer. Oh, that's the Silver Surfer. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 I'm also looking at like Unstoppable Wasp and like Squirrel Power and like Strange Academy First Class. And that's where I think I struggle because I think Strange Academy is probably better. That is a cool one. And it is also Ramos art. Yeah, that's I was going to say. I was like, part of it is, you know, maybe we're seeing the similarities where. Yeah, I think I think I would put this right below that, which would be like 53. I, I think that's fair. It's, you know, splits the difference between me and Steven and it's um, nestled there closely by. And it leans close, closer to, to John. <laughs> Yay. He's going to try to claim that as a win. I'm, go- I'm giving it to him as a win. <laughs> I'm just going to point to the scoreboard and let you call it whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, so 53? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, um, King in Black. My thought is this goes lower, but we read tie-ins later and improve its ranking. But, I don't know closest that we have is pretty high absolute carnage is at 22 and it's it sat at 20 for a long long time and this isn't as good as absolute carnage it's good but i don't think it's that good the story is not as tight uh, same similar team i mean it's ryan stegman art again i really like his art i don't know if i said that earlier um i i think i followed him on instagram pretty early like before he did bigger titles 
Um, This is coming off like I'm saying, like, I knew him before he was... No, that's not what I mean to say. It's like, I didn't know he was in Marvel and then saw that he was doing Marvel comics and was like, oh, hey, he's a fun follow because he had funny comments and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, long roundabout way of saying, like, I like the art. (laughs) But I think the story is tighter for Absolute Carnage, so it should go higher. But this has potential for good tie-in. I agree. I actually do really want to read the tie-ins because I think they will... It, it feels like they will do a good job of walking that line between contributing meaningfully to the main story while still being their own fun story in their own right. Just from what I've gleaned from what happens in them. Like, this seems like it might be overall a fairly successful event plus tie-ins. Like, I'm excited about it. But anyway, my floor, and uh, just and this is me speaking, you know, freely shooting from the hip, I think the oath is slightly better than this but I think I like it better than Black Bolt Hard Time. So my floor is probably 36. My my floor is slightly higher above that, which I would not put this below Heroes Reborn. I like Heroes Reborn better, personally. I also would not put this below Kamala Khan Gets a Boyfriend. That seems a little... That seems a little mean for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, King of Black, you know how you destroyed the Earth? You know what was more interesting? Kamala Kong having a crush. Crushed is my favorite Ms. Marvel story. We know. That's why it's so high. (laughs) Well, then maybe just just above that, but below Daredevil Yellow, because Daredevil Yellow I really like a lot. It it hits, uh, like emotion or nostalgia or sentiment on a level that King and Black doesn't because King and Black is it's heavy metal it's it's intense it's all fight scenes Daredevil Yellow you're like oh foggy hmm and you know you know what you know what that's fair right because a lot of these books here you can read without a lot of homework yeah yeah and I think we're pretty familiar maybe not through reading the comics but just through keeping up through headlines um, about some of the stuff that led into King and Black I mean we were all pretty interested in it before we read it right like that was a thing we'd at some point so mm-hmm. yeah but i mean i think for just kind of any casual person i think if you're a casual reader and you read this i think you're gonna get you're gonna be very lost from the from the start especially because they've done a lot of stuff to the symbiote mythos like in the five years prior to that to lead up to this good building to it but so all that to say is i agree with you john i think they're devil yellow i don't have a problem i think i'm fine with that too steven all right so 34 yep isn't it nice when we all get along yeah isn't it nice when when we all agree with john i think is what you're trying to say (laughs) no 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 listen i believe in the system I believe in the system. It's just nice when uh, the system is right. <laughs> we'll see how that goes for next time. Um, we are, for our next episode, uh, kicking off 2023 with some Star Wars stories. We're going to have... Dun, 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 dun. Ah, and now we're getting sued by Disney. So Come at me, John Williams. I want to I wanna kiss you for that Home Alone theme I've been hearing all month. <laughs> Man, i got to watch Home Alone again. Anyway. Oh, my kids love it. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, so we're going to read a fairly recent Star Wars event called War of the Bounty Hunters. And we're going to couple that with another classic from the Dark Horse publication days. Uh, we're going to dip back into the Star Wars Infinities uh, bucket and read The Empire Strikes Back. This is the sort of like what-if story. Uh, but this time following the events of Empire. We read the one that followed A New Hope, and it was interesting, so we'll see how this one goes. Um, 
yeah, thanks to Andor, I kind of like Star Wars right now, so it'll be good to read some Star Wars. It'll be good to humble those thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking to a coworker the other day, and he was complaining about how much he hated Disney Star Wars. And then he's like, I wonder if I actually am a Star Wars fan, because I only like the original trilogy. I hated the prequels. I hated the new movies. I hate all the Disney shows. I'm like, that's how you know you're a Star Wars fan. Because the only thing Star yeah. Wars fans actually like is complaining about Star Wars. <laughs> it's and it's it's unlike any other media. Like it's unlike any other series of books or TV show or anything. It's you you hold on to the parts of it that you like so close to your chest, and then the other parts it feels like it's not just hey we made more movies. It's no you've betrayed me uh-huh. and you've turned this thing that I love into something lesser. When really you know. It, it's all good. Like I think I'm ready to watch the prequels again because you're not. It, it's been me <laughs> <You> say that. <laughs> no, it's been memed to death. So I think that it's gonna help. It's gonna help improve it. It's not. I, I rewatched them. They're not. <laughs> I can't. Oh no! Dang it! Dang it! Episodes two starts out with Padme coming to go visit uh, Palpatine. And bombed on the uh, on the deck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah, bombed on the deck, right? And then immediately three old people. Tell her she's too pretty to be bombed. <laughs> and one of them is Yoda. <laughs> mm, not to, not woke, am I? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I rewatched them and I was like, oh, that's a little weird. Yoda's like, mm, our beautiful princess alive survived bombing attempt. And I was just like, Yoda. Insen- insensitive I am. <laughs> old school, I mean. Like this girl just survived an assassination attempt. Like there's just three old dudes just being like, mm, but you're pretty, so you survive. It's like, ugh, gross. I mean, I get it's it. like, no, I had a body double. Body double died. <laughs> Do you know that Keira Knightley was in Phantom yes. Menace? I feel embarrassed because I did not know for years. Um, is it, isn't yeah. that part of the joke in like uh, Pride and Precious and Zombies? Is that one one of the two one of the two plays the um, what was her name? I already forgot. I already I already drained that from my memory. Uh, Lizzie Bennet, I think. Yeah, Lizzie yeah. Bennett. Yeah, yeah. One of them plays her, and then in for Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, the other one plays her. Yeah, Kira Knightley does a video version, or there's a movie version with Kira Knightley, and then Natalie Portman. Yeah, maybe. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think I think that was like the meta joke about that. All right. Best one I saw was. Um, <laughs> Jane Austen's Fight Club. It was like a trailer for Pride and Prejudice, except instead of sitting in drawing rooms talking about men and their fortunes, these ladies would just wail on each other. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs>